Good evening, everyone. My name is Matt J.F. as in Joint Fellowship. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Northern Virginia outside Washington, D.C., and I'm delighted to have been asked to speak tonight. Um, I'm just going to give a really quick qualification, and then I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I guess we'll find out. Uh, I do qualify for this meeting. My I am 52 years old. I'll be 53 in January. And uh, my top weight was 380 pounds. Uh, I'm five foot eight, so that's too much to be considered remotely healthy. Uh, that was back in 2003, and that's when I had uh, Roux-en-Y gastric bypass surgery and uh, maintained about 110 pound. Hearing some background noise. Um, Maintain about 110 pound weight loss uh, until I came into this program in February of 2019. Um, and since then, I've maintained about another uh, anywhere from 40 to 50 pound weight loss. Uh, the, uh, I, I will say that I, when I came into this program, I knew what Overeaters Anonymous was when I came in. Uh, I'm pretty sure I was, I've been overweight my whole life. I'm pretty sure that I have a vague recollection of having gone to an OA meeting as a kid. Uh, I have like this vague memory of like a church parking lot on a weekday night at the age of like eight or nine, like my mom took me. Um, and my memory includes being the only child, the only male, and the only not middle-aged person in the room. Uh, and a vague recollection of a gray sheet. That's why I think it was Overeaters Anonymous. But I tried a lot of different things along the way uh, before and after that radical gastric surgery that led to me losing more than 100 pounds. Um, was, I was a big believer in 12-step programs generally. I had people in my life, including my uh, girlfriend at the time, who recovered in the beverage program. So I understood a little what the 12 steps could do for a person who was struggling and how much better it could make someone's life. But I didn't think that Overeaters Anonymous was anything that applied to me. Um, and I had said that out loud, um, not quite in so many words and using much more profanity than that. Um, I just thought it was BS. And I didn't think it was for me. And I didn't think I was one of those people. And um, and that was true right up until the moment in February of 2019 when um, I, through through happenstance and stubbornness and not out of desire, found myself listening to an Overeaters Anonymous Big Book Step Study on YouTube. And uh, not because I was interested in OA and not because I was trying to lose weight, but because I was trying to learn more about the steps. Um, and um, heard the speaker uh, say he had just finished telling a qualification story, which honestly, like, I didn't identify with. In fact, I, it was, it was, I found it so nauseating that I almost turned off the, the recording. Um, but then he said the words that changed my life. He said, for me, there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop and I can't stop from starting. And that was it. My goose was cooked. Um, I just, 
that that was as if it was like he had said, for me, there are some eyes in my head that are brown and also my eyes are brown. Like I can't deny that I can't deny that that for me, there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop and I can't stop from starting any more than I could deny that I have brown eyes. I mean, it's just true. It's observably true. Um, and that sort of started a journey that um, that I didn't understand then and still don't really understand now. Um, and somehow, you know, I I don't, I wish I could, I wish I could pinpoint exactly why this was the case, um, because there's really no reason why OA should have worked for me. Not because I don't qualify. I am absolutely a compulsive overeater by that definition. I drank a very popular carbonated sweet caffeinated beverage the way that Bill Wilson drank whatever disgusting drink he drank, like I, I think it was like gin and grapefruit juice or something. Um, you know, he drank that like a fish and I drank my thing like a fish and I ate a whole bunch of other stuff like a shark and um, I absolutely qualified. But I was I was a devout agnostic. So, so like, I didn't believe that I was a compulsive overeater. I didn't see how Overeaters Anonymous would work for, quote, those people. I was a devout agnostic. Um, I was not, I was not an atheist, but I... I grew up with no religion. I had no religion. I didn't want any religion. Um, and it was really not like me to just kind of not worry about the God thing. I just trusted that when it was time for me to have, like, whatever conception of a higher power I had when I came in was enough. And if I needed it to be different or more at some point, that it, it either would be or it wouldn't be. And if it was, then it would be okay. And if it wasn't, then I guess I wasn't meant to recover. And um, I just didn't worry about it. I didn't worry about any of it. I didn't worry about whether I was going to be able to stay abstinent, which was, all of these things are very uncharacteristic. Um, I just did my best to, to make a list of the foods that once I started, I couldn't stop and I couldn't stop from starting. And then, like on a Monday morning, I woke up as a person who didn't eat those foods anymore. At least that day, that moment. And that has continued being true every day since then. And I don't know why or how or how to make sense of it um, or what the secret was, except that I suspect that the secret was I just didn't worry about it. And I don't worry about relapsing. I haven't yet. I assume I will someday. And for me, I define a relapse as, you know, I look at a thing that I know that I don't eat and think, I can have just one. That's a relapse. Um, that's me taking back my self-will and um, deciding that, that I know better. And if it happens, it happens. Um, I don't worry about it. I never have worried about it. And part of the reason why I think I, it helps me not to worry about it is that it helps me to just know that if it happens, I don't want it to be a crisis or a disaster. I just want to kind of, you know, text my sponsor, pick myself up, dust myself off, and get back to work. Um, 
you know, the, in my life, the things are only a crisis that I make into a crisis. And um, I don't ever want this to be a crisis. Um, so that, like, I, I guess is, I'd say I threw caution to the wind, but, but the truth is I just, I just didn't worry about it. There was no need to be cautious because it was like I didn't feel like anything was at stake. Um, like, except whether or not I recovered. And um, I know it's a little not doctrinaire to say that, like, you know, there, there are sayings that you will hear in the rooms if you're new or you have heard if you're not. You, know, you have to be out of ideas. It's the last house on the block. Um, you must be thoroughly demoralized and, you know, completely destroyed by the disease. You have to hit absolute rock bottom. You know, I don't know. That was not my experience. I was not out of ideas when I came in. I'm still not out of ideas. But I'm okay with, with not employing any of them that I have because nothing has worked so well for me not only to um, make me less crazy with regard to food, but to just make me less crazy than this program has. And as long as it keeps not being broke, I'm going to keep trying not to fix it. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't worry about it. Um, and so, you know, we, another saying that you may have heard is that the newcomer is the most important person in the room. And I'm going to trust that there's at least one person who's new either to the program or to abstinence or to recovery or to some challenge that they're having on their journey right now. And, um, and just say, uh, you know, don't worry about it. Or if you do worry about it because you can't help it, don't worry about that. That you're not doing it wrong. You're just doing your best. And sometimes the best that I can do leads me into worry, leads me into despair, leads me into frustration, leads me into thinking that things are stupid and this program is dumb and I don't want to do it because it's annoying to have to get on the phone at nine o'clock at night when I'd rather be in bed with my girlfriend watching something on TV or getting warm under an electric blanket. I'm freezing right now. But what does that matter? That's what this, like it doesn't, it's okay that I feel those things. And none of that has anything to do with whether or not I show up and try to be of service. and that's why I'm here on the line right now. By the way, that's not personal. It's not that I don't, there's no one on, it's not like I don't want to be talking to anyone who's listening right now. It's just that, you know, I had kind of an annoying day. I don't want to be doing this. I'd rather be doing something else. Except that what I'd really rather be doing is staying recovered. So I'm doing this. And um, I have those thoughts all the time. It's a crazy place inside my head. Um, no, no amount of thinking it shouldn't be crazy or wanting it to be less crazy has resulted in any amount of it becoming actually less crazy. The only thing that has made my life somewhat less crazy and made me much better able to tolerate the craziness is just doing my best to live in steps 10, 11, and 12. Admitting when I'm wrong. Um, to my, at least to myself, 
and making amends when I've done when I've caused harm to the best of my ability to discern that. Trying my best to discern what it is that I'm supposed to be doing in any given moment and supposed to be doing meaning, you know, what would that greater power have me be doing, have me be choosing? And um, and doing my best to to carry not only the message of recovery to people who need to re- who would benefit from recovering from what I suffered from, but just to show up better for everyone I encounter in my life and try to be of better service to them, because um, it just turns out that my life is better when when I do that. It also, however, turns out that it, that my life is better when I don't get so crazily obsessive about any of those things, that they become my life, they become my primary purpose. When I'm running around performatively trying to find ways to be of service in the program that I'm a part of, or um, you know, looking for ways to demonstrate how wonderfully recovered I am to people who may or may not be interested. Like, it's not about that for me, it's just about accepting what's offered and doing my best to show up in the best way I can for it and recognizing that often my best is is pretty lousy in hindsight and sometimes the hindsight of like the second after I say the stupid thing that I wish I hadn't said. But that's okay. Like, And I, I guess the, it's important to know that um, I mentioned I was agnostic coming in that I would have the, that I trust that I would get a concept of a greater power. I like that better than higher power, actually. It's the way it's said in, in step two. Um, and I like it better because I always think that higher connotes better. And it's not about better, it's just about more. Um, I did eventually find a definition of a greater power that really works for me. My faith works for me. And it is not at all a religious faith. Um, and I'm not trying to convince anyone that it's the right approach for them, but I can tell you that my approach is just that God, my greater power, is literally everything, including me. It's far too big for me to comprehend. It's far too big for me to even, thank you, it's far too big for me to even comprehend what comprehending it would look like. So I try not to try. And, um, And I just trust that whatever happens is exactly what's supposed to have happened. And that doesn't mean that I don't do my best to try and discern how to show up and do a little better. But it does mean that I um I try like I I don't have to get so down on myself when I think that I should have done better than I did. I've never done anything less than my best at anything that I did, even the things that in hindsight looked absolutely terrible. Everything always seemed like the best idea at the time, including every time I ate too much of the thing that I can't eat anymore. Um, I was always doing my best. It's just that as I, I've worked on my spiritual life, I think there might be someone unmuted again, please. Um, as I've worked this program and learned what it, what it is to, to live in the steps and live recovered, um, my ability to discern what I'm supposed to be doing in any given moment or what a better choice might be has gotten a little bit better over time. Um, 
And I and I also say like the more I think about all of that, the less well it seems to work. Um, there's a speaker, not a program speaker, so I won't name them, uh, who uh, who I heard speaking recently on on a philosophical topic, who talked about um, spirituality and consciousness being like. Um, like tr trying to trying to sort of be aware of of myself is like trying to look into my eyes with my eyes or trying to bite my teeth with my teeth like that's not it's just like it's not it's nonsense it's like I can't do it and um and for me, the more I think about all of this with my brain, the less I'm living all of it with my heart and it's not that I don't think about it. I think about it all the time because I can't help it. But um, but I don't have to believe what I think. I don't have to believe that, you know, when I think that it's a dumb thing to get on a meeting at 9 o'clock at night when I could be, you know, watching a movie or something. It's fine that I have that thought. My life is better when I don't pretend it's real. And I show up and try to be of service anyway. Um, and that's, and that's the key for me to like, just not worrying about it. Um, I just trust that whatever, whatever winds up happening is what was supposed to happen. And, uh, if I just take a breath and try and do a little better, then lo and behold, my life does seem to get a little better. So if you're new, um, if you're, if you're struggling or you're struggling with something new, um, I, I don't know. I, you know, all I can tell you is what I wish someone would tell me because I know it would be true for me, which is maybe it's not, maybe the things you think are your fault are not your fault. Maybe the things you think you're responsible for, you're really not. And maybe you were really doing your best and you should cut yourself a little slack. And, and if you, if you quote, screw up, if you do something wrong or you think it's not going the way it's supposed to, like you might be right, but what does that matter? Like maybe we can just dust it, like acknowledge that we screwed up, dust ourselves off, and get back to work. This doesn't need to be dramatic. It is a matter of life and death. Well, what does that matter? This doesn't need to, you know, just because it's dramatic doesn't mean there needs to be drama in my life. I know my time's about up, so I'll wrap up. Um, so if you're struggling, you know, I've, I've struggled too. You're not alone. Um, and it's all going to be okay, maybe. Like, whether I believe it's all going to be okay and it all happens the way it's supposed to or not doesn't change what happens. It just changes how I feel about it. And it just feels better to believe that. So I do. And with that, I will pass. If you would like to reach out to me, you're welcome to. Uh, I am in Eastern time, so please be mindful of the time zone, and please also do text before you call. My number is 310-873-8619, 310-873-8619. If you call without texting, I am unlikely to answer. If you leave a voicemail, unfortunately, I am unlikely to get the message. Uh, I don't know why my phone does that, but so please do text before you call if you can. But text anytime. My notifications are off when I'm asleep. And with that, I will pass. Thank you for the opportunity to speak tonight.